Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now, here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We're now in our second season and more excited than ever to continue to help you explore and understand that unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. We look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here are issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung and heart issues, and more. So listen to today as we interview experts for today's show in our monthly theme of cities, infrastructure, and the built environment. And today we're going to focus in on infrastructure and how it intersects with health and environment. Improving and upgrading U.S. roads, bridges, and transportation networks, energy production and transmission systems, as well as other elements of our human-made infrastructure is long overdue. And, of course, we've been hearing a whole lot about it lately as our new Congress begins its efforts to pass an infrastructure bill. What's more important than ever is that our infrastructure upgrade and improvements not come at a cost to the natural resources that benefit our society. I'm also excited about how our current discussion expands the definition of infrastructure. Parks, forests, and public lands are not only an essential part of the American as well as our worldwide landscape. They're also foundational to our economy and our well-being. They clean our water and air, and they buffer us against the effects of climate change by sequestering carbon and mitigating some natural disasters. Well-designed infrastructure can also have positive impacts on the environment, which, of course, is also crucial for development. However, there's a dark side to infrastructural investments. They can often lead to environmental degradation, Fossil fuel energy generation and transportation create emissions that contribute to acid rain locally as well as global warming. Hydropower and irrigation systems can lead to flooding, water pollution, and disruption of communities. Roads can lead to erosion, deforestation, and biodiversity loss. And these environmental costs have been estimated to reach 4 to 8% of the gross national product for some developing countries, of course, with the greatest burden falling on the poorest. Infrastructures, of course, though, are at the very basic heart of economic and social development. And the next decades are likely to see an accentuation of two facets of infrastructure. On the one hand, they'll prove to be a vital tool in helping us to resolve some of the major challenges that our societies face today by supporting economic growth, meeting basic needs, lifting millions of people out of poverty, facilitating mobility, and social interaction. But on the other hand, environmental pressures in the form of changing climatic conditions, congestion, 
and so on are very likely to increase, turning the spotlight firmly on the inherent tensions between the necessity for further infrastructure development and our global quest for sustainability. Infrastructure services are vital for supporting economic growth, as we said, and improving the quality of life by improving transport and communications, by improving sanitation and home heating, as well as access to education and health services and more. However, providing these services can and will have environmental impacts that also have some very important consequences for our quality of life, including both biophysical as well as social aspects. The former affect geological and biological conditions such as land quality, water management, and biodiversity, as we've mentioned earlier. The latter affect health and other social conditions due to air and water quality and the necessity for resettlement. Well-designed infrastructure projects can produce positive environmental impacts by reducing water pollution or mitigating negative environmental impacts like emission controls and emission situations. However, when environmental consequences are not taken into account, infrastructure projects can and will pose very serious threats to the environment and the resulting quality of life. This is a lot. <laughs> and here today to help us to unpack some of this, with an emphasis today on the human and health side of this equation, is Solange Gould. Solange is co-director of Human Impact Partners where she works for advanced and proactive policy and system changes to improve health, equity, and sustainability with government partners, advocates, and organizers, as well as the communities impacted. Solange has been in public health practices for over 20 years, advancing policy and systems to change and to improve health, equity, and sustainability with, of course, as we mentioned, the government partner, as well as advocates and organizers, health departments, NGOs, and community clinics. She facilitates collaboration across a range of issues and sectors by identifying and addressing the root causes and drivers of health inequities that, while they affect some more often and more severely than others, we've been clearly shown over the last year that these health inequities affect us all. And we've been directed to the work of the Human Impact Partners by one of their recent initiatives called the Public Health Awaken. Again, it's even more timely now due to what COVID has shown us. And their purpose is to organize public health workers to use their voice, to use the evidence, expertise, and resources to take collective action and build power so everyone can thrive. Welcome, Solange. And did I get all of that right? That was incredible. Thank you so much, Bernice. Very well summarized. And thank you for taking time to be with us. Solange, let's begin, though, by defining infrastructure. I found that, as with many things, people have a very wide and varying definition or wide and varying pictures in their mind of what infrastructure is. So let's define it a little bit and talk about it and describe for us what are the different types of infrastructure, giving some examples, so that when we use the term, we're all envisioning the same thing. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked because we hear this word infrastructure almost every day now if you listen to the news, 
And I think we all have different ideas about what infrastructure is. So I'll start with like there's the big public works infrastructure or what we call the built environment type of infrastructure. And then there's the human or social infrastructure. And the big built environment infrastructure includes um, things like buildings, how they're designed, how they're powered, how they protect people inside and outside from environmental exposures. There's also, of course, our, our transportation in infrastructure, which is like roadways, bike and walk paths, um, public transit. Um, and then there's all of the um, infrastructure that includes water systems, um, drinking water, stormwater. There's also urban parks, open spaces, urban gardens, urban greening and cooling, urban forestry. And then there's our energy infrastructure, all of the power grids, storage, power lines, all of that. And one thing we don't think about a lot, but we're going to be thinking about it a lot pretty soon, is our waste infrastructure. So where do we put all our waste? Where do we put all the byproducts, the pollution, the garbage? Um, that includes our dumps, our recycling centers, how we build or perceive of products in the first place. I think it was month three of our shows. We talked a lot about waste and recycling, and we got a chance to really look at a lot of that waste infrastructure. And I think sometimes the term infrastructure and ecosystem, I see them get used interchangeably. Because I know when we're talking about waste, we use the word ecosystem, and we did define it as that set of structures and activities and tasks that surround or enable a particular system or thing. And so we're going to go to break now, and we will be right back on the other side to continue or really get a lot more into this very interesting discussion on infrastructure and to really lay out for our listening audience how it affects them and why they must care about it. Thank you so much. We've been with Solange Gould with Human Impact Partners, and we'll be right back on the other side of the break. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakening, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DSW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available online free for download at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DYI classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsors, Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non-marker, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lynndentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, back to today's episode on infrastructure and how it affects our health and our environment. And we are back with Solange Gould, co-director of the Human Impact Partners. Again, thank you so much for being with us, Solange. And right before the break, you were just explaining the different types of infrastructures, which there's a wide variety, but our point in doing that was to get everybody on the same page about what we're talking about, and also to acknowledge what's at the forefront of our public discussion right now, and I'm excited about it, and that's the fact that infrastructure is broad. It does not just refer to the large city public works projects. 
it's very broad, and all of them are just as important. So continuing on with this, Solange, as you describe each of these types of infrastructures, and I want to kind of key in on the public works types of infrastructure, how do they intersect or affect environment and health? Yeah, well, I want to very quickly describe the human or social infrastructure, which um, I didn't get quite to uh, describe, but it's a very important piece. It includes our social services, our hospitals, clinics, our educational facilities, our grocery stores, and our public health system. Um, And then there's pieces of our human infrastructure that are more invisible, like our um, inclusive economy, our workforce, our social connection and inclusion and belonging, living wage jobs, a protective, resourced, functioning, responsive, and transparent government that can actually respond to climate and health impacts, um, and community-based organizations and organizing itself, civic engagement like voting, participation in, in uh, decision-making. And then we even call our public narrative and ideology a piece of infrastructure. So how do we see the world? Um, it shapes what we think we need. Who should provide it? Who should have it? Who has rights to it? Uh, what those rights are? How we fund it? Um, And do we perceive the problem of infrastructure as essentially individual and everyone should just pull themselves up by their bootstraps or is it collective and societal and we should be providing for the commons? So all of those at large describe the infrastructure. I love it. And it's so interesting. I really was taken aback by some of the public discourse. And it may have just been political, which I don't want to get into. But it also reminded me that different people have different definitions. But I was taken aback about the public discourse of this expanded definition of infrastructure, which I think is amazingly appropriate, Mm. especially with what we've been through over the last year with COVID and the pandemic. I think that now is the time to expand the public definition and the public discussion of infrastructure. But again, taken aback. But particularly what you mentioned that I want to delve into is what you call the social infrastructure, because Mm -hmm. I think everybody can grasp that very logical next step of social infrastructure and understand it because most people do have a general understanding and perception of the large public work infrastructure. Where does that intersect with environment and health, the large public work and the social? So one of the biggest um, drivers of greenhouse gases um, that also drives the impacts of climate and infrastructure is our transportation infrastructure. It's also our, um, our built environment, right? The electrification of our buildings the electrification of of all of our energy and transportation systems. And so one of the biggest drivers of health that we need to think about in terms of that infrastructure is who who benefits and economic security and opportunity for those who've been excluded historically and need it most. Some people are calling this a just just transition, right? Who's going to build this infrastructure? Who gets to benefit from it? Where do we target our resources first? And so, for example, who builds it, who enjoys the benefits, the stability, the security, the life outcomes of the employment from the infrastructure, um, what kind of employment opportunities will it provide and to who? Will they be healthy living wage jobs, unionized, benefited, job secure, et cetera? Um, Will they be employing people who have been historically um, economically marginalized and who most currently need economic opportunities? Um, And so... Many people don't know this, but economic security is one of the biggest drivers of health. And our economy has been one of the biggest drivers of greenhouse gas emissions. 
And so really what, what we're seeing um, in terms of these, these demands for a just transition, for uh, some people are calling it a Green New Deal, some people are calling it um, a, jobs, a Jobs Act, you know, American Jobs Act, um, is that those things can both uh, give us a benefit from economic opportunities and health access. Um, so let's look at a building of a new hospital. Um, where will the new hospital go? Who will benefit from the economic opportunity of building it from the health access of being near it? What about new schools and community colleges? Where will they go? Who will build them? Let me ask you this. Going back to what's in the public discourse right now with the large public works infrastructure project, you know, like the bridges that are in the danger of <laughs> collapsing the streets and something near and dear to my heart, which is the mass transportation systems. Looking at those, what would you say are perhaps the biggest and the most significant of those in terms of contribution to environmental and health impacts in the past as well as now and in the future? Well, we know that the greatest contributor to our total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions is the transportation sector at 29%. Um, and, so, and since climate change is the greatest environmental threat we're facing as well as the greatest threat to our health, that we're facing, I would say the transportation sector is is an area that um, that we should be focusing on. It also drives a lot of the other things that we care about, like housing, sprawl, um, displacement, gentrification, access to jobs, access to um, health supportive things like school, um, healthcare, groceries, all of that. Transportation, if you think of it as um, you know the artery system of a society, then it should be a healthy artery system. Um, and it also, many people are not aware of what a huge impact it has on our health. Um, the greatest uh, cause of death and disease right now in our society is chronic diseases. And um, chronic diseases are mostly caused at this point by lack of adequate physical activity. And so if you look at other countries that have good walk and bike and public transportation infrastructure, because of that design, they get much more physical activity just in their day-to-day -day life. They're walking places, they're biking, they're taking transit. And because they're getting just that little bit more physical activity, they're actually having much better um, chronic disease health outcomes, heart health, respiratory health, uh, mental health outcomes, cancers, all of those things mm -hmm. are predominantly driven by lack of physical activity. And if we made that little change in our transportation system, we could actually eliminate a lot more death and disease in this society. Indeed, what I hear and read and perceive from people I talk to is that our society in America is really only just now beginning to, with a boost from COVID, beginning to realize that parks and recreation spaces and urban nature areas are and a very vital part of our infrastructure, again, driven by COVID. Before this, there really wasn't a lot of that recognition. You know, the thing to do was to go out into the national forest or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the good things that has come. I think, too, it also pinpoints the multi-layered complexity of transportation. For example, I lived in one city, and they did a study as to the most used bus routes, which pointed them toward where they needed to site the rails 
for the light rail system. But then there was another argument about the environmental impact then to those areas if you cited it there. So it's just multi-layered. But I do hear you and I do hear transportation is one of the biggest. And then there's air pollution. Exactly. And I'm glad you brought up parks. I want to say that, you know, one of the big pushes in um, climate and infrastructure and health is to do dense infill growth in cities and to build cities where we are not displacing farmland, we are not doing greenfield development. Um, but while we do infill development, we need to keep our eyes on whether we're keeping enough green open space in these dense cities. So we need parks, we need urban farms, we need places where people can go and get cool that also give us groundwater filtration, reduce flood, flood risk. Uh, lower energy uh, use um, and green space for physical activity, community connectivity, for families to go recreate together, et cetera. Um, so yes, more parks, more urban parks is also very important. And again, as I mentioned earlier, we're all seeing and feeling and knowing this as a result of our recent and still in somewhat COVID experience. Are there any stats out there yet or any strong movements out there yet? to deal with and to encourage enhancement of our parks infrastructure that you're seeing, Solange, especially well, in urban areas? Yeah, well, I'll say many states have a park equity um, programs and park equity, equity policies where they're really realizing that, uh, that there are problems. If we don't have a good public transportation system and our state park system is out, you know, far away from where cities are built, which was out how they were built by design, then you don't have um, equal access and opportunity for people to go to parks. So there's definitely a lot of movement. I'll say here in California, where I live, we are doing, um, the state is doing mapping of looking at low-income communities and communities that don't, that have um, some of those chronic disease health inequities, and they're actually placing parks more specifically in those neighborhoods. Thank you. Very good discussion. And we're going to go to break now, but we will be right back on the other side with Solange Gould, co-director of the Human Impact Partners. Thank you, Solange. We'll be right back to continue this very enlightening discussion. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio to today's episode on infrastructure and how it intersects with health and environment and with our expert guest here, Solange Gould, who is co-director of Human Impact Partners and their new initiative, Public Health Awakened. Solange was just telling us a lot about the park infrastructure, and she and I are both happy how it has kind of arisen to the top of our consciousness as a result of our COVID experience. Solange, I want to move on a little bit, though, again, focusing on social infrastructure. And so can you tell us, though, what you think of the social infrastructure components? Which do you think or see are the most severely or significantly impacted in our society today? Yeah, I would say that one thing that we've seen is the um, ability to uh, organize um, Civic engagement, uh, we're seeing an erosion of our, um, our voting rights across this country. Um, all of these things have a significant impact on our environment, on our ability to regulate uh, climate impacts, on our ability to plan these cities that will be so much better for our health and our environment. Um, and they are also good for our health. So being able to uh, shape the conditions of your life 
has been shown in many studies to actually be good for your health in and of itself. Um, and so I would say that of all the social infrastructure, civic engagement is the most important because it gives everyone the ability to get involved, to give input to what is most important to their lives, to their health, to their immediate environment, and to help our, um, our local governments, our state government, and our federal government actually shape solutions that have meaning and that actually take hold. Um, and so that to me seems to be the most important. And I'll just give one quick example, which is that um, we can't have one without the other. We need both a strong, rep responsive, and well-resourced government that has um, the ability to act and make solutions on climate and health um, and infrastructure, but we also need community-based organizations and organizing and engaged citizens who are effective and who are empowered um, to do this work. And this year during COVID, we saw a lot of those two working together to actually make significant changes happen. Um, and so when you, know, when you have um, a country that is in the midst of such polarization as we are now, and um, you know, where people have very different opinions about the realities of climate change and environmental issues, infrastructure and health impacts, um, you really need to have alignment within government and outside of government with organizers. Indeed. And I dare to say that most people don't think of civic engagement as part of anybody's infrastructure. <laughs> How do you change that? <laughs> yeah. So one thing that we, we believe strongly is um, for government uh, in, in the, you know, with all of the resources and power that it has to actually invest in our civic engagement, to actually invest in community-based organizations. Um, and that means actually um, funding them funding them to do the work that they need to do, um, but also very, um, you know, substantively engaging with them and to give them more power in decision-making. So, for example, um, you know, there are many years of uh, harm done by government and mistrust of government um, across society. We need to heal that, and we need to heal that in an honest way. And then we need to have... Um, community-based organizations and residents in the middle of climate infrastructure and health decision-making so that they are actually informing what is going on on the ground, what is needed, and what solutions we should go forward with. Back in my other life, in the public interest sector, we used to see very much this was the domain of the large philanthropic foundation, civic engagement, the Fords, the MacArthur's, the Rockefellers, where they would put on big training institutes for community-based people in terms of certain issues. Are they still involved in that arena? I'm so, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, one uh, real big shift that's happening in the philanthropic world is um, an understanding that uh, power and community power is really one of the biggest drivers of health and well-being. So um, some of the major foundations are really embracing this and beginning to fund organizations that, um, that support and that build the capacity of communities to engage in decision-making. Um, they're starting to look at the way governments grant, the way that big federal funding rolls down, and whether it's available to community-based organizations. Um, and so I'm glad you brought up philanthropic organizations because they are certainly a big part of this movement to, um, to, to understand that community power 
um, and systems of advantage and disadvantage as a counterbalance to community power are really one of the biggest drivers, uh, root causes, um, as we call them, um, of health and well-being. Thank you for telling us about that, Solange. I want to move on back to infrastructure systems, and I want to focus a little bit more on how infrastructure systems affect climate change. I want to look at three infrastructure systems. I want to look at the big public works projects. I want to look at public health. And we probably already talked about it, so to a smaller degree, the social infrastructures. Looking at and examining each of those and how they affect climate change. Great. You first asked about the big public works infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so... You know, anything, let's let's think a little bit about the built environment infrastructure, um, buildings where they're, where they're sited, how they're designed, how they're powered, how they protect people inside and out from environmental exposures. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we think about it, you know, we think about the city planning functions like growth, sprawl, access to opportunity. Um, but we should also think about, we should also think about things like um, exposure to risk, segregation, housing affordability, housing quality um, and security, gentrification and displacement. Um, so that's just one system, which is sort of the building system. And then there's all, there's, you know, all of those things have an impact on climate change and health. So people don't think about how, um, how um, displacement affects climate change and health. And I'll just go into that as one example. Um, when people are displaced to the outer suburbs, uh, because they can't afford to live in the in the city anymore, they often still go back to their old church. They go back to their job. They still back often go back to their school. They go back to all of their same social systems. And so you'll see a lot more driving. You see people here. I'll just tell you in the Bay Area, we're seeing people take two or three hour driving commutes to their jobs every day one way, and that means less time getting physical activity less time cooking healthy food, less time being with their family, and more greenhouse gas emissions. And so that's just one concrete example. And that's a good example. A number of years ago, when I was working with foundations, we took a tour of the Bay Area and went down to the Central Valley, and we understood how those people were commuting to the city. And again, that's very multi-layered and complicated, too, because the time spent in commute keeps them from doing a lot of other things. On the other hand, it could be said that being out in the suburbs may give them fresher air, better quality of life, not so congested. I don't know. I just, all of these things are just so multi-layered. And and fortunately, we have organizations like yours to do some thinking about them. Yeah, yeah. We used to think of the suburbs as the much healthier choice. Um, And in fact, from a public health perspective, we actually think about green, walkable, cities is actually a very healthy choice now, um, both for climate change, but also for human health. Um, as I said, you know, people who don't need to um, in, get in their cars and go everywhere they need to go uh, live longer, um, and they have a much smaller impact on the planet. They're able to get what they need in a much smaller radius, um, and they enjoy, you know, stronger social connectivity. You know, in terms of social connectivity, I want to talk about that a little bit, too, because we've seen uh, with big climate change events that people who have more social cohesion, no matter what their income, no matter what their um, their neighborhood is like, they actually do better and they survive. So you see people in heat waves. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if they were able to go reach their neighbor and get their neighbor out, they did better than if their neighbors were afraid of each other or didn't knock on each other's doors or didn't talk to each other. Um, when you ask people, uh, as another example, in a heat wave, would you prefer to go to a cooling center or would you prefer to have a swimming pool? Uh, people say they'd rather have a swimming pool, which is no big surprise, right? In some of our American history, we had beautiful big swimming pools um, and we took a lot of them out, um, um, mostly after um, uh, civil rights when we had to integrate our swimming pools, um, which is outlined in Heather McGee's new book, The Some of Us. Um, but now, if you layer climate change on top of that infrastructure problem, um, we really need those swimming pools. We need them for all the reasons. We're going to go to break here shortly. And after that, I want to spend some time talking about why people who are not affected by the inequities, how it affects them. Because in this life, I think we found out even more so than ever before with COVID, how interconnected we are individually, in cities, in neighborhoods, globally. You can't ignore it if you live on this earth. So I want to talk about, because a lot of what you pointed to today is how there are inequities, and I want it to be very clear to our listening audience about how these things that create inequities affect each and every one of us, irrespective of where we live and what we do. So we're going to go to break now, and we will be right back on the other side with Solange Gould, co-director of the Human Impact Partners. Thank you, Solange. I want to give a shout out now to our sponsors, that is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsor is Lindental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non-mercury, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today, to our show today on infrastructure, how it intersects with health and environment, and we are back with Solange Gould, who is co-director of Human Impact Partners and their new initiative, Public Health Awakened, and she is just making us much smarter as we learn about infrastructure, and she makes it very clear, it's just not that old, very tiny definition of bridges and roads and highways. So again, thank you so much, Solange, for being with us today. And before the break, you were telling us a lot about the inequities and the social infrastructure aspects. And now we want you to tell us how that affects and applies to everyone. I am so glad we're talking about this. Um, 
You know, I'll say that one thing that we saw during this past year of reckoning with COVID um, and our country's reckoning with and uprisings for racial justice this past year did a few things for us. I think it really helped us understand that, in fact, our fates are interconnected. We are not islands. We are not actually individuals who are acting alone. Um, and so I will say, you know, I'm glad you said existential threat because I think that, um, you know, we faced a real existential threat in COVID, but also racism and climate change are existential threats to our country. Um, and more and more people saw that when a whole category of people have to go to work without adequate protections, for example, then all of us lose. When low-wage essential workers who are caring for your elders, who are caring for the sick, who are picking and processing and delivering our food are unprotected, we're all gonna suffer the impacts of that lack, lack of protection. The pandemic is gonna just continue and drag on and on and on. And I'm so glad you brought that up. And I just wanna add this and then I'll let you finish. I can remember the days of looking at the news to see that the chicken packing plant was closed. I can remember then going to the grocery store and not being able to get chicken. And that hits home with people as well as some other things as well. You know, the restaurant's closed. And now we're seeing another side of that here in North Texas. I don't know about where you live. Many restaurants are still not able to fully open or they're limping along because they can't get the workers back because the workers found other work that had maybe the same or better wages but more benefit. For example, a worker who may have been a waiter or a line cook at some of the local restaurants was able to go and get hired at Amazon. Mm -hmm. And while they do have their issues, they may have made more money and had better benefits. Same thing with Walmart. Again, all these places may have their issues, but it was still better in terms of perhaps conditions, money, and benefits than at the local hamburger joint. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very good example about how we really need to support and grow our local businesses, because if you have these huge corporations that are, in fact, not protecting workers, but they can provide them with some benefits, then workers will be drawn to those. But we really need our small businesses. We really need our community infrastructure. Um, and I should have mentioned that small locally owned businesses are an essential part of our community infrastructure. And when I talk about displacement, I'm also talking about displacement of small um, often women-owned, often owned by um, people of color in the community who are middle-income um, middle community members who really need support to stay there. This is a place where they have a business, they're connected to the community, and I'll say in terms of climate change and health, sometimes they are the difference between life and death during a climate impact because they provide that social cohesion that will help people survive during, during an event. So let me just say, when we think about infrastructure through that lens of interconnection and linked fates, I think we have come to understand that if our cities are not built with equity at the center and with climate change impacts at the center, that those uh, with those most impacted in all of those decisions, we will suffer and pay. What trends are you seeing in terms of how COVID and our responses to it have affected our infrastructure systems? But what yeah. trends are you seeing, good and bad, in terms yeah. of infrastructure and COVID? Yeah, one thing I'm I'm quite worried about is um, that we used a lot less public transportation during COVID because we were very worried about exposure. Um, and so we've had numerous studies since then 
uh, that most people did not contract COVID on public transportation, except the operators, and that was because they weren't given proper PPE. Um, and so, but because of that, our public transportation system's revenue went way down, and they're in danger of failing and reducing services. Um, and so I think we need a lot more public education that tr public transportation is not a way to get exposed to COVID, that you're safe, and that it's still a better way to get around. So that's one thing I'm worried about. Um, one thing I'm really excited about is that most people now are talking about infrastructure in some way or another, and that they're pushing for the future infrastructure that we need. You know, you see um, the, uh, the, the conversation happening at a federal level is really about whether the, the, the current proposal by the Biden administration is too much or too little. And I'm very excited to hear so many young people speaking out and saying it's too little. We need more public infrastructure. We need much more funding to um, prevent the future catastrophic um, events that we'll be facing because of climate change and to build the climate resilient infrastructure that we need um, to survive and thrive into the future. And I am just over the moon excited about how it really is expanding the public awareness of infrastructure. It gets us out of this little channel and makes people realize, even though it's all around them, they don't realize it. So to have that conversation gets it into the consciousness that infrastructure is broad, it's computer networks. The other thing related to that is public health. How's that infrastructure been affected? I I'm so glad you asked. So public health is one of the pieces of infrastructure that's near and dear to my heart. I have spent many years in public, public, uh, our public health system. And, you know, one thing that COVID exposed was that we have been divesting from our public health system for the last 10 years. Um, it's a largely invisible system because it's keeping us safe when we don't even know it. And then when we have an emergency like COVID and like climate change will continue to be, um, we, are, we see how our public health infrastructure has been divested from and how we were vastly unprepared to address something at the scale of COVID. Um, and so one thing that is happening that I'm very excited about is we're seeing a lot more investment. Um, we're seeing a reinvestment in the Centers for Disease Control and funding coming down from there to state and local health departments. We're seeing investment in um, COVID vaccine equity. Um, we're seeing investments in um, hiring community health workers to make sure they get into communities and engage people in kind of coming together and finding the type of solutions I'm talking about. Um, and we're seeing a lot more investment in um, the public health infrastructure and the ability to do this type of what we call upstream public health, which is working on climate change, health and inequities, working on um, the built environment, uh, working with partners in transportation, uh, housing, energy, all of those to make sure that health is integrated into the center of those big infrastructure investments. I, I think actually, they also, too, need to do some investment in terms of public health response at all levels, not just the federal level, but at all levels. Because even when we saw when the new administration took office, they immediately went there from the federal level. And then very soon after some really immediate successes, then we saw where the rubber meets the road at the local response level. So to me, that's also been one of the deficiencies that's been brought up. Well, you know, one of the things that when I think about another parallel between public health and climate change and infrastructure is, um, you know, this focus on prevention. So, for example, we could really spend a lot of our resources in our society um, doing disaster response in terms of our infrastructure and cleaning up after, you know, Hurricane Sandy's um, and really, like, 
uh, responding to the disasters that happen, um, or we could really focus on prevention and building these resilient systems. And the same thing is true if you think about public health. We really want to focus on public health prevention so that we're not spending all of our time needing to do this kind of public health emergency response. One last thing, Solange, and that is to talk to our listeners briefly about what ordinary people can do in their everyday lives to help drive solutions to these infrastructure issues. Yeah, there's so many things that we can all do in our everyday lives to drive these solutions. So we've talked about this a little bit, but instead of taking um, driving for short trips, try walking, biking, and taking public transit. That will be good for your body, good for knitting together your connections to your neighbors and your place and create more demand for the planners to improve this infrastructure. Um, So there's also, you know, all of those things that you can do as an individual person. But one of the most important things you can do is get involved in your local community-based organizations, organizing efforts, civic engagement efforts, um, and through that in city, county, state, and federal decision-making to support a strong functioning government. and uh, really support much of the decision-making around all of this infrastructure. Indeed. As one of our local Texas scientists said, who has a big national platform, she just talk, talk to people, talk about these issues to your neighbors, your family, as well as, like you said, to your legislators. Thank you so much, Talon. We really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. We have been with Solange Gould with Human Impact Partners, and we're just so glad that she could join us today. You've really expanded our knowledge, our sense of impact of the various infrastructure systems. So thank you. Thank you, listeners, for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line, so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is a result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day like yourself. And each of these tiny acts can seem insignificant, but all of them add up one way or the other to the change that we each live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you and join us again next week as we continue our discussion on cities, built environment and infrastructure. Thank you.